All right. So after talking with Chris last episode, we have... Hey, hey, I'm right here. You always talk to me. Uh, no, no, no. You know who I mean. We talked with Chris Sims. Oh, oh, right. Um, please carry on. Well, as I was saying, we have a guest today. We are joined by Everett. Christy, what in the heck are you talking about? Everett is a character in this comic. We can't very well talk to a fictional. We are joined by Everett Christensen, who is here to help us make a little more sense of this book. Aloha to the both of you. Oh, man, do I look silly right now. Uh, only right now? De nada. Let's talk about comics. Yes! I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our second Phalanx Covenant episode. We are joined, as you heard in our cold open, by Everett Christensen. Hi, Everett. Hello. Everett, we are so happy to have you on the show. Um, before we get started, did you want to tell the listeners a little bit why this is um, a really important x-men crossover to you and maybe uh your background a little bit with comics yeah, yeah absolutely um so my my first comics were uh, as a little bit of a backstory uh peter david's x-factor run um where jamie madrox gets the legacy virus my mother bought it for me because at the time we were living with her dance partner and his partner and um, jesse was dying of aids at the time and so I got into comics as a way of my mother explaining to me what AIDS was and how it affected people. And so X-Men became extremely dear to me because of that very close and personal connection with the LGBT community, of which, as I grew up, I found out that I was a part of. So... I was reading comics from a very young age, probably around six, and we moved to Hawaii where I was unable to get comics regularly. The only place to buy comics was a supermarket that was uh, in a town away, and that's where I uh, actually picked up the first comic, and I, the at the time, started reading my very first series on a month-to-month -month basis, which was Generation X, which the store that I went to, sometimes they wouldn't stock comics for multiple months at a time. So it was really getting anything that I could get and then stringing together plot lines in my head to try and figure out uh, how my favorite characters got to where they got in the uh, disparate issues that I actually could get my hands on. I feel like that really distills the 90s experience of getting comics. Right? Which is, yeah, you get like halfway stories. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, and, and I was like a, a big fan of the Legionnaires, and that was never on the shelves. And, you know, there were there was a lot going on at the time. And if you didn't have access to a, a comic shop, and really that was the beginnings of the direct market dominance at that time and that's you know was not not a not a wonderful place for a 12 year old but uh you know nevertheless it instilled in me a, a deep deep love of both the medium and specifically the x-men and these characters that whole your whole introduction into comics is so beautiful it makes me feel really inferior getting introduced to comics as no, an adult no <laughs> no you can't see 
That's that's one of my big philosophy points is that if you read a comic, if you like a comic, you're a comics fan and you are just as valid and just as valuable as those of us who spend outrageous number of hours cataloging every appearance of every black woman that's ever been in an X-Men comic, which is me. Uh, <laughs> let's be real here. But I, I think that um, at any age to come in and to be willing to be like, well, maybe I should just pick up this comic and maybe start in the middle, which is, you know, where I started. It's, it's totally, totally a beautiful thing. It's, I think it's absolutely fantastic because adults need, you need some whimsy and you need some magic. And I feel like comics has always been there to provide that. I, I, Completely agree with you. A hundred percent. And that's that's like the, your favorite kind of comics is oh, just yeah. the, the, the very fun sort of ones. As an adult, the books that you are expected to read are nowhere near as fun as comic books, which is why I haven't read a book that isn't a comic book in over a year. Hey, I, I know that feeling. Although I, I'm a voracious reader and I, I pretty much read anything that I can get my hands on, which is, you know helps with reading about 200 or so com- different comics a month because that's what the you know that's what the market looks like now and yeah. at this time when these comics were coming out it was it was there but the the small imprints and the the books for young adults were not necessarily there and I'm a big fan of the YA market and that's uh, one of the reasons why I wrote for a young ones for an amount of time when they were starting up and I'm hopefully going to be working with them again soon and uh, getting back onto that. I took a little sabbatical to work on my own pod projects, but I'm still still editing that one down. Fantastic. To those who don't know, uh, the Young Ones cast is a friend, friend of the show, Young Ones cast, uh, Mikey and Charlie, and, uh, and Everett writing and editing on their website some absolutely great content about teenage superheroes, which I really needed more of in the 90s when I wanted to read comics, because it all just seemed so old and inaccessible. Like, older stories, older, like, it's funny, like, mature, it seemed mature to me, but it's, yes. it was, like, it was somewhat juvenile. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's there's a part of that, like, wish fulfillment fantasy that exists inside of all comics, mm-hmm. that the child in you, as you get older, you can see it, and, mm-hmm. but when you're a kid, it's, like, instead it's that, like, here's what the world could be versus the tiny town of 200 people that you live in and getting to see the broader world i think is always one of those the best parts the best parts of comics show you the world and show you that the world's truth instead of just your own you're you're a poet <laughs> I, I, I love it you I, I, it's beautiful oh, no. everything you say i'm just like oh that's I need I need that like written down. I need it on a wall. So Everett Christie is not in the in in one of the the Discord communities that you and I frequently explain the X Men Discord, where all the time I'm just like Everett, you you do your sentences are fantastic. <laughs> Thank like... you. <laughs> yeah, you know it 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 didn't it didn't get here on its own. I I put a lot of work uh, into the writing um, and into words, but that's just because books saved me. They saved my life. You know, I, I talk about that little 200-person town, but uh, I had grown up in Los Angeles and San Francisco before I wound up in a town of 200 where my parents were doing the best to save their save the world. So, you know, I, I, I had 
the people around me engaging in this deeply altruistic work with some of the most marginalized people in America the year that we moved there. Uh, my tiny town of Honoka'a was the highest per capita teen pregnancy rate in the country, and the sugarcane factories had closed down. There was no longer any jobs for most people. It was um, it, it was not necessarily a good place for a young black man who had grown up uh, in San Francisco out there, you know, kind of doing the mean streets thing and uh, in in L.A. And, you know, I would spend a lot of time in South Central and my father is a touring musician. So I spent a lot of time out and about and I, I just went about stir crazy on that island. And so books um, and the words saved me uh, in a way that nothing else could and because of that, books are my life. They, they're they my job, they're my passion, and they are also my art and my expression. All right. So I think we're about ready to head into our summary for yeah. Generation Next. So we have four issues that we'll be summarizing there. So summary. The Uncanny X-Men 316, written by Scott Lobdell, penciled by Joe Matarera, inked by Terry Austin and Dan Green, colored by Steve Buccoletto, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, edited by Bob Harris. X-Men 36 and 37, written by Fabian Nicieza, penciled by Andy Kubert, inked by Matt Ryan and Mike Sellers, colored by Digital Chameleon and Kevin Summers, lettered by Bill Oakley and edited by Bob Harris. In Monaco, a teenage girl named Monet is being lectured by her bodyguard-slash-nanny, Gail, in the car on a rainy night. Apparently, Monet hasn't spoken in months after an incident involving her father and her twin siblings, and Gail wants her to be seen by one Professor Xavier. This is interrupted quickly, however, by the appearance of a terrifying robot— who kills Gale and Monet's driver before kidnapping the seemingly unafraid Monet. We cut to the X-Mansion where Sean Cassidy, Banshee, is talking to a restrained Emma Frost who has been through quite an ordeal. She'd recently awoken from a coma during which she had possessed Iceman. Now she's back in her own body but is being subjected to constant testing. It's honestly pretty creepy of the X-Men to be doing so. Almost suspiciously creepy. Banshee walks around the rest of the complex noticing that the X-Men seem to be acting a little strange, even hostile. He also receives a video call from Jean Grey and Cyclops, in which they say they are making their way to Muir Island. I'm sure that won't be its own adventure. Hint, it totally is. See final sanction. However, Archangel appears suddenly to chastise him for taking official communiques. Likewise, Jubilee is apparently using the danger room by herself, which is strange for a minor. Finally, Psylocke, Gambit, and Bishop are in the professor's ready room, which is normally off-limits. Combine this with Banshee managing to trip them up on Professor X's current non-ability to walk, and we got a problem on our hands. Banshee asks the computer which living things are currently in the mansion, and whoops, it's only him, Emma Frost, a captured Sabretooth, and Jubilee. Banshee talks his way past Beast, in scare quotes, before confronting Rogue outside the prison facility, who won't let him see Sabretooth. Alright, action time. Banshee unleashes a blast of his sonic scream that rips apart the imposter Rogue. Turns out she too is a phalanx! 
banshee-free Sabretooth, but with a caveat explosive device guaranteeing Sabretooth's good behavior, before taking the fight to the Phalanx Imposters. Sabretooth frees Emma Frost and rescues a pass-out Jubilee, and they meet up with Banshee. Banshee has set the ready room to explode. While learning that the Phalanx wanted the information present in Xavier's files in order to assimilate the X-Men, as well as hunt down the next generation of mutants. Mutants are seemingly immune to their version of the transmode virus, something they'd like to rectify. After blowing the place, Banshee and crew escape through the sewers to find the new mutants, lowercase new mutants, before the phalanx do. Enter X-Men 36. We start X-Men 36 as the Phalanx, specifically our pals Cameron Hodge and Scott Lang, monologue about how they can't seem to assimilate Monet, but that they'll totally be able to once they capture all of the young mutants. Anyway, we meet one of these, Everett Thomas, who seems to have accidentally blown out windows with his voice and is being confronted by the police. He tells them that he was only defending himself from liquid metal creatures, and it turns out half of the cops are said creatures. Our old pals the Phalanx. Everett and the human cops find themselves outmatched, but are saved by the arrival of Sabretooth and Banshee. We cut to Jubilee and Emma Frost, the latter of whom is masking them telepathically for normal humans. But oops, more phalanx attack! Yet another cut, this time to the Guthrie household in rural Kentucky, as teenage daughter Paige is also being snagged by these rascally robots from her very large family. Now we go back to Jubilee and Emma as they are joined by Sabretooth, Banshee, and Everett to fight the remaining phalanx. Emma does a neat trick by linking minds with Jubilee and Everett to use Everett's mimic ability to unleash a more powerful version of Jubilee's fireworks. The phalanx are exploded. We end the issue with Stephen Lang showing up in robot image form to taunt our heroes, somewhat randomly showing Sarah Gray, Jean Grey's sister, who has been taken as well as the kidnapped Paige Guthrie. He pieces out, but not before Emma finds that the brief exposure to Paige's mind will allow her to pinpoint their general location. However, in all the commotion, they find that Sabretooth has managed to shake off his failsafe bonds and escape. Uncanny 317 opens to Paige Guthrie waking up in a cybernetic cage created by the phalanx, in cybernetic clothing as well. I promise this comes up later. She's not alone, however. She's joined by Monet, who is still not talking, Angelo, who has mutant skin powers and a lot of pessimism, Clarice, who is purple and also terrified, and Gregor, who is honestly taking all this pretty well. They are all working on a way to get out of the phalanx's prison prior to realizing Paige has been infected with the transmode virus. Jubilee, Banshee, Everett, and Emma Frost arrive at one of Emma's safe houses in San Francisco. Banshee definitely doesn't trust the former villain, especially after Sabretooth's escape, but they decide to ultimately work together. Their plan? Break into a shield safe house to use its computer to track the phalanx. Back to the captive teens, who are suddenly joined by Harvest, a human willingly turned phalanx. Who knows why the heck he was there, though, as before he continues, Clarice activates her mutant power of teleportation to teleport little bits of him to pieces. He manages to pull himself together quickly and seal the prison, but the damage has been done. The teens now know they have a fighting chance. Jubilee, now somewhat inexplicably on the Golden Gate Bridge, confesses to Everett how over her head she feels, considering the level of power they're dealing with. 
Cut to Emma and Banshee, who are psychically masked from the agents at the S.H.I.E.L.D. safe house they are invading. They move unseen through the base to find the computers which they use to pinpoint techno-organic signatures. However, Emma apparently forgot to mask the puddles that the two walked through, and they are discovered by the agents. Banshee knocks them all out with a huge sonic scream, and they continue looking for the teens. The captive Generation Next kids discuss their next move. Gregor wants to stay put, but Monet finally speaks up. She has managed to use a bit of her techno-organic suit to create a weapon, which she uses to blast apart Gregor. Holy crap, he was a phalanx imposter! Monet takes charge, stating that her destruction of Gregor likely has frozen his recording of them, leaving them a chance to escape. She uses her immense strength to punch a hole in the wall of their prison before grabbing a sick-feeling page. There is no sign of the phalanx, but... For some reason, they're on a boat? We spoke too soon as X-Men 37 opens with the Generation Next kids under attack by a gang of phalanx. They look to be in a tight spot, but are saved by a timely use of Clarice's blinking powers to abnormally fuse several of them together, followed by a Monet super strength finishing punch. No rest for the weary, though, as our named phalanx Harvest attacks. He quickly explains his ho-hum origin of a man who chose to join the phalanx to defend humanity from those gosh-darn mutants. Meanwhile, Everett, Jubilee, Emma, and Banshee sneak aboard the boat. Emma and Jubilee have a nice heart-to-heart while blowing up phalanx rats, and then the battle with Harvest is joined by Sabretooth? It appears our mostly villainous, rowdy murder guy has returned to rip into Harvest, who can regenerate by using the techno-organic matter he's absorbed. Banshee blows him back with a sonic scream, before asking Sabretooth why the heck he even showed up. He honestly doesn't really give a reason, and instead decides to shock everyone. As Paige explains her transmode virus situation, Sabretooth rips her skin off. Well, Paige's powers are growing layers of different materialist skin, and her new layer is a chrome sheen, which seems to have become immune to the virus. Hooray! Of course, as villains do, Harvest returns. Did you really think he was down for the count? Banshee and Sabretooth fight tooth and nail against him to allow the teens and Emma time to escape, but he outclasses them heavily. In fact, Harvest knocks Sabretooth out cold, leaving Banshee to face him alone. Then, Clarice makes her stand. She teleports a huge section of the boat away, making it so that Emma and the rest have to jump into the water. She uses her powers to teleport him in pieces out of discernible existence. However... Clarice manages to also join him, even as Banshee tries in vain to grab her hand. Banshee, Emma, and the teenagers manage to make it to shore to mourn their teammate and to contemplate what happens next. All right, well, Everett, Christy, do you like this four-issue span of Phalanx Covenant? I think in the last episode, I made my feelings clear that because I love... Uh, silly action movies that Final Sanction was my absolute top favorite, mm-hmm. but that like firmly in the middle was Generation Next, and for for reasons we'll get into. But I wanted to hear the both of your opinions. Well, I think I made it pretty clear that this was my favorite because of Emma Frost. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, so I like each of these individual issues. Mm-hmm. I don't like the story as a whole. And then this is this is one of those things where as when I when I reread individual issues, 
sometimes you're like, oh, God, yes, that was such a great feeling. That was such a great moment. There are the, you know, climactic happenings occur and you're just blown away. And I and reading these comics absolutely uh, get that. But I think that on a whole, the Phalanx Covenant either needed to, it didn't occur super well in the tapestry of the X-Men. It came in at a really strange time. And I think that while it launched my most beloved ship, Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't I don't really feel like it's an X-Men comic. I don't I don't feel like there's any of the the themes of the world that hates and fears them and saving it when the aliens that are out there and you're dealing with this alien invasion and then its resolution doesn't even happen in these comics. So each one of these issues I love. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, I I don't actually like Generation Next as much as I liked Final Sanction. Uh, no, to- yeah. totally fair. Um, what I really liked about Generation Next is it starts off and it, it strikes a bit of a different tone from Final Sanction, whereas Final Sanction seems to be very much like a, a very traditional sort of action story. This starts off almost as a horror story. I'd say almost specifically some weird body horror stuff. So right off the bat, we get the bit where M is is abducted and her mm-hmm. bodyguard is assimilated yes and you see that panel of the bot or her bodyguard's face like in the phalanx mm-hmm. yes creeps me out the creepy crawlies that i get from that oh it got ugh. i think it's a absolutely fantastic moment um when you see the monster you don't know what the monster is doing and it's categorizing everyone out loud that whole calling her like the woman who attempts to like you know push her out of the vehicle and pulls the gun on the phalanx and it calls her past prime and i i just like mm-hmm. anything that's gonna look at me when i'm you know a, a an adult like in my career prime and just be like oh no it's just another human and i can just casually deal with this the only thing that bothers me here is the unknown um that's what that's what gives me the heebie-jeebies i when i was looking to choose what our next crossover was going to be i read the very first panel and the very first lines of this and just the whole tone that it set and it, it just delighted me, and I was like, this is probably going to be it, because it just starts off with the Monaco, a name that conjures up images of wealth and privilege. After tonight, for one young woman, the name Monaco will be forevermore linked with memories of terror. And the lettering <laughs> for terror is fantastic. And yes. it was just the right combination of a little bit of silly, but really just set like that that kind of fun horror movie, a little bit of a campy horror movie tone. It's to the dark the and stormy night, right? Mm-hmm. It is. And that, that even continues as we, as we get into Banshee, who's kind of, he's like our, our reader proxy because mm-hmm. even Banshee is, is a little unfamiliar with this new, with, with, with the yeah. X-Men status quo. Right. He's been at Muir Island mm-hmm. uh, with Dr. Moira McTaggart and comes on back to check out what's going on with the X-Men. Right. And we, you know, we slowly, that's when we like slowly find out kind of what has happened with the X-Men, which is, is very invasion of the body snatchers. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely the thing that I 
like really enjoy about the entire body stature like sequence is how approximate all of the characters are mm-hmm. i'm it is very like oh this is uncanny valley but for some people who aren't in the the on the human side of the valley to begin with you know right it is yeah they are they are so very close to being the characters that we that we know right and i don't think i quite realized that difference on my first read through with it and as i read back through i was like oh how didn't how did i not see this coming like there were definitely very clear signs with each of those characters that this this isn't quite right for them right i think that storm and the way that storm behaves mm-hmm. was the definitely was de- it's it's so it's so close but it's like mm, she's handsy she's not that handsy yeah, and she was just she was just like ever so slightly aloof. The the line about I you know I'd never be so naughty as to disobey Professor Xavier. Yeah, that was <laughs> yes. weird. I just I can't imagine Storm saying that. No. Right? No, no, that is that is that is not my uh, African goddess right there. That's what's up. <laughs> true, true. So we we have so the the only members who are not phalanxed are are you know ultimately Jubilee and then. Emma Frost, well, Emma Frost, who's not a member of the Right, X-Men. Emma Frost and Sabretooth, who are under somewhat indefinite detention. Right, Oh, well, yeah, without trial. It's very weird. And Sabretooth's is, like, theoretically semi-his-own idea. Right. Well, he came there and said, I need help, and this was Professor X's idea of how to help him. Imprison yes. him until he was fixed. Yeah, it's... put him in a maximum detention and uh, put, you know, gloves over his hands and muzzle him. Yeah. Because uh... that's how I help my people who have poor impulse control. You know, I just literally put a muzzle on them. That that really helps. I... It does it... not. It does not. It was really hard for me to get past that. I mean, I know that, like, Professor Xavier's terrible and, like, that's not a thing that, that has ever really been disproven one way or the other. Which is tough for me because I grew up on the cartoon where he was mm-hmm. not he was not really too terrible in the cartoon. No, um, no. Because at that point, you know, you couldn't even make like the they, they were all adults other than mm-hmm. Jubilee for the most part. So they were all making their own decisions. So you, you couldn't even like make the well, Professor Xavier's coercing them. But then you go and you, you move on from from the cartoon and get into the comics and. He does all sorts of questionable stuff. He's, being... he's grooming these people from teenagers to do his bidding and not question him. I think that the Professor X being really, really questionable is the biggest slow burn of X-Men comics. And the day you kind of take a step back and go, oh, this civil rights leader has done so many things to betray his own personal code that you you're like oh maybe this guy who started this thing maybe the movement of the x-men is better than professor x himself yes i i'm completely with you on that there was even there was a long discussion i had with someone it was it was about the the magneto professor xavier dynamic and making making trying to make parallels to real life experiences and i said it's difficult to make a parallel with charles xavier because he hasn't actually personally done anything particularly useful for for mutant rights and they were like you know what i'm trying to think of a time and no you're right like his movement has to some extent yeah he himself really hasn't no it it is um it and it's fascinating too because everyone turns and looks to him to be that beacon 
And I think that what we like my takeaway has always been is that they are looking at a man when the thing that they are really looking for is his dream. And the guiding light of Professor X's dream is so pure and so beautiful that people cannot help but associate it with the man when that is not necessarily the case. He does not act in a way that even lines up with his own, his own ideals, which I think is innately human and a very real thing when we look at the histories of our own civil rights leaders over the years. You know, they're all deeply flawed individuals. Mm-hmm. Anywho, <laughs> but we're talking about this horror comic. Right? <laughs> That's a good tangent. To yeah. I think it, it's, yeah. you know, we haven't, this is our first X-Men crossover we've covered, strangely enough. And at some point, I really want to do address something along those lines. It, mm-hmm. It's Professor, the, the strangeness of Professor Xavier and, and his, and his flaws are somewhat fascinating to me as a reader. Mm-hmm. Also, also to me, a lot of the, um, the strangeness of Magneto in this era is around the acolytes era Mm -hmm. where he's been mind wiped which was one of the comics that i managed to pick up and he has all of these people who are like oh we live in a space station above earth and i was always like and why aren't they picking up every mutant that they can possibly find and making their own cerebro and populating this station with regular mutants who really just need to get out of their bad situations and then at every time where magneto creates a like oh yes i'm i'm here's my nation uh, i'm doing the genosha thing now and he doesn't just go and it's in space that doesn't make any sense to me why would you <laughs> not just and we're out we're gone bye mm-hmm. um and i was i have been waiting for thee and we're out bye my entire life because uh, I also was a Guardians of the Galaxy fan from back in the day. Mm-hmm. And their storyline is as the mutants left the planet. Like, we'll, like Magneto gathered all of the mutants together, and they all went off in an arc through Shi'ar space, founded their own colony, and Wolverine like led them there as some sort of like Moses figure. And so now they all are like, they worship Wolverine because he literally led them out of the desert of space. Which I was like, I'm still, to this day, like, someone's going to come back to that plot point. <laughs> yeah. Someone's going to do it. So it, it'll, it'll, it, it'll happen. I mean, it might not stay, you know. Oh, the no, un- will. The unfortunate no, fact of comics is... I'll never stick. <laughs> I'll never stick. Well, and so is this, this comic basically just ends with them figuring it out and... Yeah, yeah. I, I like how uh, Banshee pieces it all together and how he stealth tries to, you know... Just clarify with the the phalanx, like yeah, you know how Professor X is walking now, and they're like, yeah, definitely walking. The phalanx mm. definitely haven't read the past issues of X Men or the editor's note. What are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> also, just an era of funny editor's notes. Oh I yeah, that. I do miss that. Yeah, they're 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 sometimes serious. D- DC had a few a few silly ones recently that I kind of enjoyed. But uh, yeah, Co- comics are are in some ways trying to take themselves a little too seriously. Mm-hmm. But th- I thought the the first issue was interesting in that like it's pretty clear that Jubilee is going to be a main character of Generation X. That's like I feel like that's clear from the get go. Mm-hmm. You get yes. no Jubilee in this issue. She is unconscious, and Sabretooth grabs her, and before they get right, the heck out. Yeah. 
Which uh, is so interesting because the issue right before this is one of the touchstone Bishop and Jubilee have a good relationship issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in, so then going into this, you're like, yes, Jubilee is, you know, getting getting more established and seeing people. And then she's unconscious and is not actually present. Right. Right. It's like, okay. All right. <laughs> Like so much has happened that uh, that we that we missed that we were catching up on and yeah you know, yeah I feel like that script eventually turned into oh crap I forgot to put Jubilee in here <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah Banshee shows up and busts out the prisoners and they get Jubilee and and we go into our next issue which takes place in a city that you and I are familiar with Christy <laughs> yeah with a character that Everett is familiar with <laughs> yes yes oh. <sighs> My man, my main man. My, I know. My, my, my poor, my poor son. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, of course, talking about Sink, Everett Thomas, whose powers are, he can kind of borrow yours for a little bit. Yeah. yeah um, it, and what a great visual that they had a little bit later in this crossover, but uh, mostly through the Generation X comics, Sink's aura got such a great visualization that i i was i was always enraptured by the different ways in which bacalo rendered it throughout like it's especially those initial few issues mm-hmm. how very visually striking for a character who is bald and otherwise plain yeah mm-hmm. from first get he is so competent mm-hmm. he immediately well started... no let's let's talk about this nightmare because okay. let, let's oh, talk yes. about uh, let's talk about the once again, the horror comic nature sure. of this of this, and you're standing outside of your home, and there are twelve police officers pointing guns at you. Yes, this is how we meet Everett. Yes, and that is a literal black man nightmare. Because Absolutely, there's no you're you're like oh, there's no way this is going to break in my favor. You know you. you even at even at the time, you know, I, I've lost a family member to an extrajudicial police killing where one of my cousins was uh, shot in the back an unfortunate number of times, 11. Uh, while he was carrying his cell phone and walking away from the cops, I got to watch the dash cam footage. And they thought that the cell phone in his hand, which was above his head at the time that they opened fire, they thought it was a gun. And so they killed him. And... This moment where Sink is standing in front of all of these cops, cool as a cucumber, that's power fantasy. That is power fantasy, pure and simple. And it really just kind of a, a, takes my breath away, uh, even today, upon uh, rereading it. Yes, he he's like arms crossed. I, th- I even think he used the, the phrase, is there a problem, officers? Or something yeah. to that effect. Oh, it's was... your intention to shoot me. <laughs> just laying it out there no he was he's in the, this this scene is so incredible and he, one of my notes is completely silly in relation to it because Everett, christy and i are christy's from the st louis area mm-hmm. and i lived mm-hmm. in st louis for eh, probably was it like six months yeah six months mm-hmm. or so in north st louis they completely butcher a street in this uh <laughs> It's uh they there's a bit he where he is wearing his blues jersey though. He is wearing a St. Louis blues jersey, so that is that that's that's on point. He it says that he so he he takes Banshee's power. 
uh, well, borrows it Un- unknowingly. He said, you know, he even, and he was even cool about this. He's like, well, there must, must be somebody around who, uh, who I took this power from and blew out windows. They say from grand to gravels and they totally mean <laughs> gravoy. Yeah. Um, which is funny, but he, he's just, he, he knows even that half of them are phalanx at this point. He says something about it. Yeah. Like, he, he sees them. They're starting to change and body morph. He, into... he is not scared in the least by this. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> and this is your, your first, your first meeting with him. Now, how now, can you be so cool? How can you just be that cool? As, as a teenager, cool. I had no idea. I had no idea how you could be that cool. Yeah. No, he, he's, he is like, and he, he, re- this is him for the rest of, we haven't read much Generation X, so I can't make the claim as far as that comic. For the rest of this, these four issues, pretty much stays as level-headed as this. And so, very, very able. <laughs> like, we're yes. going we're gonna to see him do some awesome things with Jubilee's powers. Right. Is he the, is he kind of the, the, well, he and M seem like the most, the most able and put together members. Competent, yeah. Of, of this Generation X team. So how, how much Generation X have you guys actually read? I've read almost none. I think I read a few okay. issues when I was a kid. And Christy, I don't think no, you've read none. literally none. Like I'm... Literally none? Okay, so. Th- this uh, makes this me is... want to read it, but yes. Yeah, so this is, this is a great time for me to tell you guys uh, exactly what that one is all about. So it's a team of leaders. Mm-hmm. Every person on that team in their own way, except for perhaps Husk, but that's a totally a thing. Uh, all, of the, all of them are either their A-type personalities or they're that home fires-like director. And uh, Jubilee gives a shot at being like, oh, I'm just going to have fun and be a kid. And even that, like, that doesn't stick because, like, she's clearly a, like, caring mom type, right? So you have this team full of leaders where everyone's ego battles for page space so much, Everett gets completely pushed out. Uh, he is probably the most minor character of that cast for the entirety of the run. And then, like, you know, spoilers for a comic that's, uh, you know, now 15 you know, <laughs> years old, but he dies without, with a lot of ways that that did not have to happen. And it is, it's a shame because... He never gets much more characterization other than being a really good guy. And he gets the, I'm a good guy, I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to come through in a pinch, and that's what he gets. And that's all he gets. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. It's one of those things where um, if you look at the rest of that cast, right, other than some of the other members who died, which half of the Generation X cast dies, they they all go on to bigger, better, greater, more interesting things. M, you know, like Paige becomes a mainline X-Men during the Austin run, which, uh, 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 yeah. But, I mean, and Jubilee, like, had her own class of X-Men recently that was absolutely fantastic. You know, M goes on to x-factor investigations and is an incredible character there chamber got his own solo series was depowered then repowered then 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 chamber gets a lot of play over the years and so 
you know, I just am always thinking to myself, it's like, well, like, why does why didn't Sync get a Spider-Man and his amazing friends or like a, you know, Marvel team up where it's Sync and then he teams up with someone else who has a power and then they have an, a one-off adventure and then we go back to Sync's out doing his thing. And, and there is so much, so much potential there for a character who after this crossover, he does not get to do much. Uh. The Generation <laughs> X does have that unfortunate sort of effect where it entered a world with a pretty decent amount of mutants already. And as more and more mutants kind of came in, I guess editorially or, or, or by writer, writer, artist, they felt the need to get rid of some of them because you, you, it's not, it's not what Claremont wanted, right? Where Claremont wanted some to retire get to mm-hmm. be fine more take their place and you get this like a, like a series of generations but as superhero comics work you just instead get more and more and more and more characters to the point where it becomes this critical mass and they feel like they they need to get rid of some of them which inevitably means that someone's very favorite character is going to have something horrendous happen to them and then basically be forgotten. Yes. Unless and your favorite character is like Wolverine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And 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 honestly, I'm deeply deeply envious of the people out there whose favorite character is Wolverine because I always have gravitated towards these kinds of characters, characters like Everett, characters like Jubilee. I sit here and say honestly i believe that page should be an x-men team leader and should have been an x-men team leader you know a decade ago but these things aren't going to happen because they'll never have the name recognition of the o5 the giant size cast just it's not gonna happen right it's being an x-men fan i honestly don't know if there's been a cast that's supplanted anybody from those two eras in a very long time. And a lot of writers and artists bring in sort of it it'll they'll make a team and they'll probably be a few of the like top popular characters and then some of their some of their sort of side favorites. And I feel like you can see that in the current X-Men Red title where there's definitely Jean Grey, there's definitely Nightcrawler. You have Laura Kinney who is Still the current Wolverine, since we we are in the process of returning the other one, but it hasn't happened yet. And then we have Gentle, who is 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 like a definitely not an A-lister. Isn't that an interesting choice? It is. I'm loving it so far. I love X Men Red right now. Mm-hmm. I love Namor. I love Atlantis. Uh, yes. I... <laughs> am a huge fan of Cerebro. I, I thought that, that these are the puns that I, I'm <laughs> yes. here for. Oh, yeah. It's uh, the silliness. They It does it great, though. The silliness mixed with the like very like very heavy tone of, of quite a bit of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because like, there, there's another very adult book for adults trying to do some really, I mean, it's great. It's great work. But where's my kid's book? yeah like where's where's my kids i i there are you know when when we talk about x-men of course you know we got to talk about the mutant metaphor a little bit and the groups for which the mutant metaphor stands in there are kids coming of age every day who belong to the groups that the mutant metaphor serves 
And I feel like every day that we are not directly serving those kids. Those kids are being done a disservice by us as adults who are not necessarily making the world into a place where we do not have to teach them to be the heroes that we were. Yeah, definitely. So so back I, back to this horror comic, but, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just as Everett's realizing that there's mutants nearby, we get this awesome scene of, like, Sabretooth busting in, still, like, unfortunately in his muzzle. with <laughs> and, and gloves. And gloves. I kept wondering why his muzzle needed gloves. I guess it's the claw thing, but he definitely fights with them. He has, he has claws on his gloves. <laughs> yes. And it's like... So we um, decided to reinforce the scariest part of Sabretooth <laughs> and make them stronger while we have him bound. This is a great idea. It's so weird. I mean, the rest of this issue is, 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 kind, of a, is kind of a fight scene with the phalanx. And Jubilee, just kind of in general, being a little bit upset with her situation because mm-hmm. she is not an Emma Frost fan. No. And she definitely... I love their back and forth, though. She definitely is like... Oh, what are you doing here? You know, I, you don't have a great track record with kids being as how all your students just died. Which is really oh. harsh given like the breakdown that Emma Frost just had, which is It was like last issue, right? It was like the <laughs> yeah. issue no, it was like two issues before this. Mm-hmm. It was two issues before this. Emma Frost finds out that all of her kids are dead. And yes. like at, like and and for anybody who's worked in a classroom, once yes. again, nightmare. Mm-hmm. nightmare scenario you wake up you check on your kids they're all dead what and unfortunately not even the last time this is going to happen for emma <laughs> it's let's it... let's get through more comic before we have the emma frost discussion because <laughs> that's a whole it's a whole thing we should wrap we should wrap up with that but like this i i love jubilee jubilee yeah. is jubilee is to me like a heart and soul character. My one of my big touchstones. You know, of course, I had a huge crush on the character as a child. Mm-hmm. Like the wanted to be that character in the X Men. Like, but gosh, she she could stand to get a little bit more respect in this era because she gets <laughs> she yeah. gets some short shrift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she and Emma, they, they they aren't helping Everett right now. They're just, like, standing back, and Emma's Emma's just camouflaging them from all the passersby. Yes. Until they're noticed by people that we think are passersby that are really just the failings. But I think that skips ahead a bit too much. Oh, it's it's fine. Yeah. I, she They seem to be somewhat immune to her psychic broadcast. Right. It's it's been shown throughout this crossover that the phalanx have this strange sort of relationship with psychic powers. Right, they kind of communicate the, in the same mm-hmm. way, so their communications can almost be like disrupted and inter- so it, it's interesting. I mean that they really are techno organic. Yeah, they use just... psychic Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Man, doesn't that sound great? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I so like body horror aside, though. Um, mm-hmm. So I was, of course, reading this alongside the Excalibur stuff mm-hmm. with Doug Locke and all yeah. of that. And, and oh, man, Doug Locke. Like, just that thing there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's we're, we're getting into him in our third episode, which is we actually we're going to have after you have an interview and then we're going to have a our Doug Locke episode, uh, which Excellent. is good. Gives us time Excellent. to prepare. <laughs> I would 
I would go in for the Doug Locke treatment. Like, you know, being a member of the Phalanx, but not necessarily being a member of the Swarm like that. Not just being a face on the wall, but like, hey, I'm a dude. I'm techno-organic. Mm-hmm. That sounds great to me, honestly. <laughs> like, they, the benefits, you know? <laughs> that psychic Wi-Fi. <laughs> the, putting, the putting yourself back together from the, you know, raw components of the world around you, you know? Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. They, I mean, but, they seem pretty neat, except for the whole, we're going to assimilate and kill everybody part. But, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. we could, if we could get... And we're specifically obsessed with mutants because we don't know how to assimilate them, so we're picking on them. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, the Borg Queen was obsessed with, you know, Lucutius and the DS9 crew. I think this only follows. Uh, <laughs> oh, that, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, and, and then you got your Doug Lock 7 of 9. You do. It's all, Doug Lock is. Right there. Yeah, 7 of 9. It's all right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, we, we, talked, we talked in our last episode a little bit, but this is like somewhat of a blatant Borg ripoff, this entire uh, story. Who doesn't love the Borg? Who wouldn't love to have the Borg in their comic? I don't blame you. Oh, no, they're terrifying. The Borg scared the ever-living crap out of me as a child. TNG is more of a touchstone for me as a kid than than even comic books are. I, I think I experienced TNG even earlier. And the, so, the Borg are so scary. <laughs> so I only experienced Star Trek as an adult. I didn't get it. I didn't understand why it was interesting. It seemed boring to me as a kid because nobody ever told explained to me the philosophy behind the federation and how it's supposed to be humans but just better like just be better people mm-hmm. just what if everybody just woke up one day and decided to be better <laughs> right. people yeah. what and, if you didn't have to worry about worry about just the basic things in life because you don't have to so you can just be what you want to be like literally what you want to be not what you have to be what yes. you want to be and and that be- everyone then gives back that everyone then gives themselves. That is so powerful because I think we find so much strength in service. And I think that's a lot of the strength of a Starfleet crew. And I think that's a lot of the strength of the X-Men is that dedication to service for the, the people who cannot serve themselves in your capacity. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's definitely one of the reasons why X-Men will always be some of my very favorite comics of all time. Very Borg-like. We get the phalanx at the Guthrie household. Yeah, they they steal Paige. And God bless the Guthries. They are all just trying to pile on this robot. (laughs) Yes. Good old, good old Guthries. I love love the Guthries. Because they seem like the very best little Appalachian household. You never get, like, I feel like it would have been super easy to do a Guthrie story where you could do, like, this, like, this like kind of southern family parallel where they don't accept their children mm-hmm. but they don't do that they no. just they and it's great it's fantastic because i don't because i i think that's a lazy trope at this point mm-hmm. it it absolutely is and I, I think it villainizes people who really don't need to be villainized who they get villainized plenty by the rest by everything else this is not one of those places that it needs to happen and i think that ma guthrie is the salt of the earth and I love the whole idea of just here's this family. They're the Guthries. We don't know why, but they make mutants. Like that's so many. <laughs> that's what they like. Like every one of those kids, I feel like it's like five out of six of them are going to be mutants at some time or another. I want to know what happened to Jeb. I want to know where Jeb Guthrie is. I think Jeb Guthrie needs his powers back. 
because he was the littlest Guthrie. I think he'd fit right in alongside Honey Badger and, uh, you know, uh, Princess Powerful right about now. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, you're you're totally right. Like there there needs to be there always needs to be a kid a kid book, and it's it's a shame every in every moment there is not one with with X Men. Mm-hmm. So. It looks like the phalanx also destroyed the Guthrie's house on the way out. Like, yeah, for it now. wasn't enough just to take Paige. <laughs> like, the whole house has got to go down, too. Yeah. So... Whoever rebuilds the mansion, probably the Guthrie's have their number. So, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm <laughs> guessing they're so. fine. Yeah, let's, let's hope that the, uh, the combined money of, of, or of Charles Xavier and I don't know if X Force has a lot of money, but I suspect Cable has, has a ton of, ton of money someone one way or the other time traveler box yeah it's a ton of those time travel monies what do you what do you do when you can't lose the lottery can't lose a horse race can't lose uh (laughs) nah you got time traveler money (laughs) yeah we finally get this splash in the, the the beginning of of this next issue 317 of the the generation x kids minus i guess chamber is not here yet right Plus Gregor, and you can tell that I didn't really know Generation X very well. Because I was like, oh, there's Skin. Yep, I remember Skin. And I'm like, and yep, M. I definitely remember M, and I remember Paige. And I was like, oh, I forgot that Blink was here early, early on, but there's Blink. Oh, who's this Gregor guy? I guess I just didn't remember him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. I And um, this is actually the first, this is the first issue of, the crossover that I actually got my hands on. And then I got Mm -hmm. X-Men 36 immediately after that. So I had doubly no context for any of the stuff that went on in this comic. And gosh, I just loved it so much. (laughs) I, I was like, blink, blink is the greatest character of all time. Did you see what she did to that man? Like, (laughs) (sighs) and uh, thankfully I got my wish in present day. You know, 14-year-old me, hang in there. Hang in there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Blink will come back. And this yes. is a bit of a different Blink than what I'm used to. My my first touchstone of X-Men, reading a whole chunk of story, was Age of Apocalypse like 10 years after it came out. Yep. And that Blink is a different Blink than this one. It is, it's the Age of Apocalypse Blink. And she's just pretty different. She's a little yeah. bit more vivacious, a little, little more of a big personality. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and and so this Blink, we actually get to see this Blink back a couple of times. Celine brings her back from the dead twice Ah. over the course of X-Men history, and but that never sticks. Instead, AOA's Blink is the mainline continuity Blink that we uh, have around today, Mm -hmm. which... You know, I'm I'm a fan of any blink in any timeline because, like, I'm sorry, Afro-Caribbean superhero with one of the most dazzling power sets and that iconic green and purple outfit on a hero. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. talk about secondary coloring, villain-coded, pure line hero. Giant thumbs up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Giant thumbs up. And it's it's interesting how our, how the visuals of Blink's powers are portrayed in this comic. It's almost like cutouts. So you'll see a panel, and mm-hmm. there will be cutouts through it where she is blinking bits of someone just slightly awry. And with the phalanx, this results in them kind of 
getting like their circuitry ripped apart. Mm-hmm. Whereas later we have the blink who sort of throws the the pink crystals for the 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 portals and everything, and I I like the the dichotomy of the of the very very harsh cutting visual of this blink compared with the very the very stylish colorful pink portals of the of the AOA blink. Yeah, it was it was terrifying to hear her say like the the first time that she ever discovered or used her powers like she just woke up in a pool of blood. Yes. Like, it, it's ugh. not elaborated upon. No. no. And we and we have never found out. And it's, we still do not know. And maybe that works. Day. I think that yes. cuz you just because you're like, oh, it was just like we we know Jubilee blew up her own house, right? <laughs> sure, you know, like that's that's one of those things that like, oh, we 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 know what happened there, but then with some people's eruptions being like, oh, it was bad, real bad, mm-hmm. right? And then you can just you never need to go into it. Well, the things that the mind will come up with, oh are yeah, so much better. The yeah, the, the just the leading quality of that statement it, it led me to to a lot of possibilities but they were just all equally kind of kind of terrifying yes and you can and... you can see why she's so so with kind of withdrawn and, and a little bit scared oh yeah like she she's written she's her font is all lowercase just this very timid Small. quiet it i mean it's portrayed you know very well like you, you just kind of want to give her a hug like yeah. gregor it... but a nicer hug because you're not a and... phalanx yes and what a great job lettering too you know oh it's excellent we you know i i feel like we don't talk necessarily enough about like color and lettering Mm -hmm. and the lettering for all of these issues is really well done in my opinion other than there's like a couple of times where emma frost's lettering isn't quite where i want it to be Mm -hmm. but everything else is just so well done and especially with blinks letter boxes i think that that they just they're just i love characters like that like i'm still mad that uh the x-men blue bloodstorm did not have her trademark letter boxes i just 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 why not why not give me that black background with the white text it oh, sells yeah. the it sells the inhuman like echoing vampire seduction constantly on thing and this and this is another great uh one where it's like oh yeah no when this character talks it's like you know that's not a person talking mm-hmm. and that that is a I, I don't know i always think that that's a gift and i think just immense shout outs to all of the letterers and immense shout outs to all the colorists out there doing what they do so that we can enjoy the best darn comics in the world. And definitely never getting enough credit for it. Yeah. It is it is hard to overstate how how little credit colorists and letterers get by like the general comics consuming community. When I feel like comic creators who if you're good, if you're if you are good at your craft, you know the value of a great colorist and a great letterer. Yes. But I I, I do think that comics consumers, the the could could really look at that a little more because so you know one of these days i'm gonna start a podcast that is colorists on comics and i want it to be mm-hmm. inside the actor's studio but for colorists uh that sounds fantastic yeah right because like i want to i want to ask questions like how do you feel about purple <laughs> right and then get like get like 
a cogent professional answer or get like a, a like spiritual like feeling emotional answer or like whatever kind of answer you get out of asking a question like that is going to be great now like I just I just need to line it up. I just need to start going to some shows and make sure I get the ears of some people and get a guest list together and you'll you'll see it someday. Uh I I honestly could, can't wait. I'm starting to really fall in love with some with certain colorist work where I'll see it and I'll be like, "Boom, this is this this will be excellent." Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yes, big time. So, Monet just springs into action out of nowhere. Oh, yes. yes. At the end of this this issue. Mm-hmm. She, and at this point, we don't really know Monet's powers. And all we know is that she is very quiet. Yes. And she creates a gun out of... Her suit. Her suit that they put her in. Which, they, they, they put all these teenagers in, like, a suit and then gave them weird cutouts on it, which I don't know... Sexy if... suits for teenagers, <laughs> because that's really appropriate, right, guys? Like, Do robots? You... What? Why do they care? Yeah. Mm, uh, mm, hey, it, it's it's fine. It doesn't last too long. Yeah, they're in the, the nice the red suits for... later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, into the crossover. Which, that's each that. of the covers uh, of these features, one of them in those red suits that we never get to actually see in these comics... Right, yes. you can tell these covers were 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 done with like the intent of the later. Mm-hmm. Yes, they were leading into the Generation X, and honestly, like man, once again, just Chris Bacala though, he's just so good though. He is so he's excellent. Incredible. The he's man's so been doing good work for twenty plus years at this point. I heard he started coloring his own work too, which is just terrifying. Like that scares me. Like his he's grown too powerful. <laughs> he's like, like so you think he'll be writing and then Yeah. No, and then you'll just and then you'll it'll get it'll be a book and you'll get it and it'll just say Bacalo on it and it won't matter what's inside, you're gonna buy it. Just oh, yeah. just give over your money. <laughs> yeah, I actually just bought a Bacalo comic last week. The new there's a new Spider Man issue where he he did art and Oh I, Oh god, that was the one with the written by Chip Zdarsky. Yes, correct. Oh my god, broke my heart. Oh, I broke haven't gotten to read heart. it yet, but I but, I was just like, oh, this no, team is... no spoilers, no spoilers, but heartbreaking. Okay, oh. uh, the, the, that title's been a bit of a gut wrench uh, a few times. But again, I think we did. We're digressing, but I'm I want to point out that I think like the only character that gets a costume change or a clothing change throughout this entire arc is Everett. Somehow he has changed clothes. Banshee. Banshee changes clothes in the mansion. Oh, yes. Into his... There's, into a, his there's a beefcake panel where oh, he's doing yeah. the shirt up but and you see the abs. Emma Frost is still in this, like... This, like, green outfit. Well, yeah, just body What's suit. the green jumpsuit? Yeah. That, that doesn't we'll get stay, to Emma. Right? We'll get to Emma. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, oh, God, no. Okay, no, but we'll get to Emma. We'll get, we'll get there. Okay. But, like, let's just... Let's leave the green bodysuit out of this. It's terrible. <laughs> uh... But but you got to remember that this is also the era where Jean Grey's costume only had one boot. Oh, it was right. it's literally like one big fold over boot, looking like one of the Cyclops boots, right? But then on the other end, it's a high heel. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, so so we can so we're gonna forgive the green jumpsuit. It does not stick. <laughs> right. This is an era of some good costumes and some very questionable ones. You know they they just went through so many. Oh yeah, there like are just a ton. so many costume changes are going on right now. They were really trying to find something that TM worked after, um, like, because Jim Lee had been gone for like a long time by by this point. He had not been 
working on the comics for like what, it was like f- four years by this point or something like that. This is a ninety five, ninety four, ninety four crossover, ninety four crossover. So three years then, mm-hmm. right? Like because he he didn't even get through the entirety of like ninety two before the founding image, right? Like what is, yeah, what is mm-hmm. that? that? What is that? That sounds about right. No, no, no. I think I'm wrong. I think I'm wrong. Okay. I'm, I'm going to just look this up real quick. But oh, no problem. It, it, but regardless, like, they had to, they at least internally wanted to get away from those iconic costumes, and that was not, eh. mm. It's like, they, it, yeah. they, they couldn't, the inertia was too great. Like, it was yeah, so, no. yeah. They needed to probably just let, let that one be where it lies. So, yeah, no, it was, it was 92, yeah. So, uh-huh. they, they didn't even... Didn't even get out of '92 with those like with the uh, iconic Jim Lee costumes before they had to start changing them up for I don't know reasons. But so so the green jumpsuit does not stick. Or at least <laughs> there is that much. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I love Monet's like out of nowhere destruction of uh, our buddy Gregor. Yep. Yes. Turns out Gregor oh. was a robot. <laughs> And I love the part where the gun, like, she makes a thing, it looks like a gun, you expect her to use it like a gun. No, she uses it like a spike, she slams it into the wall. It's like, (laughs) you're like, oh, yes, you you made a gun, you're going to shoot some, no, you're not. No, nothing like that at all, actually. (laughs) Right. Fantastic. Slams it into the wall, knows that somehow she's going to have an energy reaction. It blows Gregor apart. She then, like, practically pulls out, like, her pointer to go, like, exhibit Gregor. He was a camera, and he's probably stuck now, and so they think that he's recording, but he's not because we destroyed him. So now we're going to try to plot our escape. It's like Monet's PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And, and she's so good at it. She is she's so excellent at it. And everybody's just like, she's so, so good why didn't you do this before? And she's like, I'll get into it later. But I'm she, nice, does but she does not. <laughs> she does. Oh, does she? She does. Okay. Okay, so so this is this is a Generation X thing. Oh, that's oh not, okay. That's not Monet. Well, yes, we know. Yes, we know. Oh. It's, it's two toddlers in a trench coat. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so. we know. So it's the whole, and the one so twin it's, it's is supposed to be a- autistic and that causes her to I have, have her. So, and I have so much beef with this. Yeah. As, the, as my little sister is autistic mm-hmm. and like, obviously like autism representation and doing it well really matters and non-interactive, non-verbal autism being the only way in which autism is showcased is like really deeply negative and harmful Mm -hmm. and connecting autism with savantism is like also can be like harmful and monet is definitely all of these things at this point wrapped up into one kind of like could we have done this a little bit differently and the thing is that the twins uh once they are decoupled Mm -hmm. they walk off screen and we've never seen them again that's so strange we've not we haven't seen the twins since the 90s and in theory they're still there and monet still has her powers but you know the whole depowering repowering things really unclear Mm -hmm. as to who got to keep their powers and who didn't so the twins could be out there with their mutant powers living their lives in north africa and just nobody is paying attention but like where's the twins someone should ask and then someone else should stand there looking horrified because they don't know yeah it's very it's very very strange because they're pretty they're yeah they're 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 toddlers yeah 
Well, no, no, no. They're, no. I'm no. exaggerating. I'm exaggerating. They're Did like they become penance for eight. a bit? Okay. So, so he, all right, all right. I'll break, <laughs> I'll break this. I'll break this whole thing down because I've got it down to being pretty concise. Okay. At this, at this point, at the start of Generation X, mm-hmm. it's two ten-year-olds. Okay. Uh, like maybe they're eight, maybe they're nine, maybe they're ten. It's not clear, but they are very young, mm-hmm. and they are merged together into a body that is identical in every way to their big sister who they considered to be more important to the family than themselves. Uh, Once again, autism representation, no, they are not less important to their family. (laughs) Uh, Right. That is not how that works. Please stop. Please don't do this. But they are pretending to be her while they try to find a way to fix the actual Monet whose body was transformed into penance by their big brother. Mm-hmm. So what happens is completely like it's it's pretty convoluted, but there's a there's a body swap, right? So mm-hmm. the twins go into Penance's body, yeah. and then Monet goes back into the body that the twins put together. Mm-hmm. So Monet actually hasn't been in her original body ever in all of the comics. This is really important because I think that the variety and the expansiveness of the power set and the, like, perfection might have actually just been a projection of what two ten-year-olds might think of their hyper-competent older sister. Uh, that is rad as heck. So (laughs) so that's a whole thing that, that is going on there. And the twins are then taken out of Penance and are the twins. And then there's an extra body running around and that's the body that winds up in the comic losers which is one of my favorite comics of all time if you haven't read losers you 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 probably want to but this may be also that like chris sims i am a colossal dark hawk fan (laughs) (laughs) oh certainly yeah i you know he's from la and and a lot of other things but that design basically it's that design oh yeah dark hawk looks rad as heck so yeah so so right now it's two two toddlers in a trench coat (laughs) Uh, and they have been working together in tandem to be the best M that they can be. Right. They're doing a great job. Yes. Yeah, they, I mean, for for a pair of kids, they've really got their stuff together. (laughs) Going into the next issue. Yeah. Monet punches a robot to bits after Clarice rips it up, and it's super cool. There's this panel of her just... And I guess we're gonna use we're gonna definitely use Monet as a as as a shorthand for for her two siblings. It's, I feel like it's just easier at this point. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, just, it's just simpler. It's just simpler, and it's it's interesting to see a a superhero whose powers are still ill defined, who it clearly at this point has super strength after she has like an intense like analytic session. Mm-hmm. She just seems unstoppable after this point. Right. It's mm-hmm. like what can't she do? Right. Which is it's odd because then the the rest of the issue is 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 a is a big fight with with Harvest, which we haven't we haven't really gotten into Harvest, but Harvest is the is the phalanx bad guy du jour. <laughs> we actually encounter the guy who becomes Harvest earlier on in Un- Uncanny. He's he's just a, a guy that had a beef with mutants, and the phalanx was like, "Come with us," and then he's like, "Yeah, yeah he's a sounds great." Yeah, imagine your bigotry is so strong that you decide to become a killer robot and leave your no. family. <laughs> No, no, no. Imagine that your bigotry is so strong 
that an alien consciousness assimilates you into a hive mind and your bigotry is so strong that you retain all of your emotional capacity, all of your independent thought, and you can be yourself and absorb other people powered only by your hate for someone that you do not understand. It's terrifying. And he is and he has no other defining characteristics. He is None. he is a hate he, monster. But, but he just keeps coming. He does not stop. He is an inexorable force in this comic mm -hmm. chewing up pages delivering these grandiose speeches and just generally being a really bad guy mm -hmm. and gosh i just i i wonder i wonder why we have we don't see like uh, an entirely harvest-based strain of the techno-organic virus after this because i think i think he, that he, he legitimately survives. has the charisma he survives with the nests gone. Like he, yeah. I'm, I'm cut off from everything, and he's he's there. So he could definitely come back. <laughs> if, I'm, if I ever write X Men, bring, bring back yeah. a strain of harvest. Oh, just man. hate. Yes. just hate in a man. Mm -hmm. uh, one one thing I, I think we didn't bring up was was Paige being infected somehow with the techno organic yes. virus, and it, it's slowly spreading throughout her. And it's it's a it's a bit of a scare, but what's what's real weird is how they cure it, which is Sabretooth literally just takes a swipe at her because he smells the techno organic on her and it triggers she's got, her husk she's got powers. Two different scents. <laughs> right. It triggers her husk powers, so she has under her skin she does like titanium or something or some kind of chrome. And that just that it just sheds off the, the techno organic virus. Like it's like just just a layer of skin. And I don't think we Paige really doesn't mentioned... have a good immune system. This is like no, but that, like that's canonical because she contracts the legacy virus later. Oh, but, yeah. Which, which of course, she contracts it during the period of time where it's just about to be cured. Oh, so course. it doesn't like doesn't like negatively impact her very much at all. Mm -hmm. uh, unlike AIDS, the very serious virus that the legacy virus was based upon, which was not miraculously cured. Um, right. Everyone just kind of got better because I guess those plot lines were too depressing and too real. I would have rather it not been like that because, like, AIDS is still a problem today. We still have it. It's still in our country. It's still a huge force in the world. Why did we back off from telling important AIDS stories in our comics? I honestly think it would have been powerful to have a mutant who lives with the legacy virus. And they find a way to keep it under control to some extent, mm. but it's it's like a, it's like an ever present. Yeah, it's like it's not something that changes. It just changes how you live. Mm -hmm. it just changes how you have to be. What you have to do: take your medication, do your stuff on time, be regular. Right. Mm -hmm. But but once but once again, this is this is me wanting something out of because I want some really specific things. <laughs> Uh, out of the X-Men as far as like how they the approach to representation is done that I will never get. I will never get in a million years these things that I want because I I want like needle shift. Like so when they were doing the immigration storyline in gold mm -hmm. and that it ended with Whiplash attacking Congress, I was just pissed because to me the question of uh, are all of these mutants illegally in america like nobody actually does their immigration paperwork at the 
X-Mansion or they never apply for asylum and Jen Walters doesn't have to show up at their immigration hearing dates and, like, we don't get She-Hulk immigration lawyer the comic. Like, this is that, that, that it seems like there's huge missed opportunities here, but it doesn't seem to be something that really wants to be tackled, which is... So, so but yeah, so anyway, Paige has a, a poor immune system and she catches viruses. That's... Okay. One of the, I, you know, once again, like nobody's ever going to remember that. I'll remember that for the rest of my life, but nobody's ever going <laughs> to, that's not going to be a consistent characterization. No, but it, I think, I think it's interesting with her power set. It, when she sheds her, her skin, she can heal like minor injuries and apparently viruses too. But yes. she just catches them all the time, I guess. Well, no. So like, imagine you're shedding your skin, you shed your skin. And all of your your entire body resets to normal. That means that like all of your antibodies have reset, and you have actually no inherent defenses against disease other than shed again. Ah, good point. You catch you catch the common cold. It would be lethal, except you start feeling a little warm on your forehead, and you just shed your skin, and you're fine again. Oh man, yeah. that well, that's a helpful and difficult power <laughs> yeah I, mean, I just this is this is how i would run <laughs> this, this is what the things that i would be interested in exploring God, but, the, mm. the biologist in me is actually really thinking about that it comes back to that quantum self image of wolverine where wolverine actually just holds a quantum image of himself and always regenerates to that mm-hmm. similarly Paige then has a quantum image of herself that she always husks back into and then she's not actually ever regrowing or re anything she's in fact just pulling matter out of the quantum foam perhaps into like a positive energy universe instead of our negative energy universe so she just reaches across and just rips out some and then reconstitutes herself every time she's doing the husking there's no actually biology involved in there it's instead more just like a pure physics experiment this would just be i mean no prize <laughs> it's here, pretty good right though. we're yeah, but I mean, like, this is what this is what we're X Men fans for, right? right? I'm here for the punch dimension. I'm here for <laughs> where does where does Colossus's steel come from? And also, the punch dimension. dimension is the Crimson Cosmos, and Cyclops's powers are inherently magical. They link to Sidorak, and uh, you know that's 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 my that's my story. I'm gonna stick to that. I love it. <laughs> Right. I love that Sabretooth came back after he ran off. We thought, you know, Sabretooth's gone, and then suddenly he's just like, well, I have my ways of finding everybody, and I'm here to save the day. Yeah, it's like, why did you come back? And he's like, shut up. It's like, I don't know why yep. you left in the first place. <laughs> he had things and stuff. Saber- Sabretooth always has things and stuff. He does. He's got He's got his own deal. So as, as they're trying to fight... Harvest, this is where the Emma Frost realism comes in, where they say, like, Ms. Frost, can we beat him? And she's like, no. Mm-hmm. Where it's, she's not a sugarcoater, we'll say. Like, we're, we're, this is, we're, we're gonna die. You know? Yeah, like, we can maybe, maybe not today. We but... can maybe run off if, like, a couple, you know, like, Banshee and Sabretooth fight this guy, but, like, there's no way we can stop him. And that's where we get our, our heroic Clarice moment, where she's oh. like, I'm going to, like, she says she's going to stop him. By blinking him out of existence, which was uh, my favorite two pages, maybe of this crossover mm-hmm. by far. It's just by far the and panel away. work. 
mm-hmm. and the the sort of like the just the the confusion of it like yes. you, you seem like you're almost getting it from her perspective of the what is going on or maybe even banshee's perspective because he's trying to grab her so she doesn't go so she doesn't go away and we don't mm-hmm. we never like seem to like they they aren't like ripped to bits necessarily they're just gone mm-hmm. yes they are they they are balefully teleported into a billion pieces mm-hmm. and we find out later that she actually kind of like fold, just folded herself in the space mm-hmm. So the couple of times where she's been resurrected, Celine goes out there and just pushes her hand into the space that Clarice made and then pulls Clarice out of it. Oh, wild. Okay. Yes. Yeah, when I was doing my X-Men research, I read something, and it didn't make sense to me. I didn't... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) With a little more context, it, it does make sense, which means that Harvest is also still in that space as well. Yeah, he could he can come back oh. anytime. Mm-hmm. Like the, uh, they, yeah, it's it's it. I Clarice's teleportation here just still just horrifying though. Mm-hmm. Oh, the idea yeah. of like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna chop myself into as many little bits as I need to to handle this problem is like how extreme, how very extreme, especially yeah. from someone who's been so so meek and so timid so so far and she just says you know i see all of these people willing to sacrifice or do whatever they need for the good of everybody and you know just that was just the little kick i needed to unleash this from myself which is pretty pretty awesome right and then that's that's our generation next that is no no there's one more thing that happens here that i think is really important oh certainly it's the it's that everybody falls into the ocean because when they take out Harvest, the, like, battleship, aircraft carrier thing yeah. that they are on also just vanishes for some reason. Everyone's dumped into the ocean, and here comes Sink with Banshee's powers. Big hero moment scoops everybody out of the ocean. That's true. <laughs> that is super rad. And he has he has another outfit cl- change. He is... In a, yes. in a blue and suit another, with the rest of Another it. outfit change here, yes. <laughs> Where there's no indication that he brought anything, because they, they, flew, they flew to the coast from St. Louis, and he's just kind of wearing his clothes. So, so, who knows? It's whatever. Oh, yeah. and so does, so does Emma. She's not in the green anymore. Uh. <laughs> but I think it's because that last panel there, it, it, it has to, it's perfect, you know. You've got your, yep. you got your cast. Yep, here's your cast. We, we found it, we found it in a new, a new group. Right. Mm-hmm. It's and it's ah. So Emma. Yeah, before we get on to accolades, we definitely before need to talk about Before we get Emma. on to accolades, we got to talk about Emma. So so Emma Frost gets the worst road of hoe here and everywhere. <laughs> oh, and yeah, and forever and for always. Mm-hmm. I when I think of Emma Frost, I think of a few things. Of course, of course butter rum is it? right the, po- the pony, the pony. <laughs> yes in in this house right i believe leah williams has informed us she was being manipulated by a father figure in a and abuse cycles are complicated right yeah. mm-hmm. i think i think that's what leah williams has told us and i you know i i take that to heart uh but i'm i'm gonna go a step further firestar only thought she saw butter rum explode that was just a psychic projection. Butterum actually is in one of Emma's, like, you know, three or four branches out there and lived a happy and hale life. 
And once we get past that, we can talk about how she survived two literal holocausts and has lost uh, everyone multiple times and built from that built the only like really like like this is working humans and mutants cooperating with each other like the dream is working success story right here in my own personal backyard of the bay area which like i i'm i'm in that chunk that was like carved out for new tian i'm in there and that's like where it happened and then she got to stand there and watch as sentinels the literal holocaust makers Mm -hmm. burned new tian to the ground again yeah it's hard to say if anybody's had it rougher than emma she's been in several comas she has lost a a, a ton of students in different circumstances like more than one instance but yeah she's she's been through several several like extinctions or attempted extinctions no literally people dying in flames right just like and then fire consumed all of Genosha. Emma Frost was there. Yep. And she does not get enough space to express her PTSD. She does not get enough space to, like, express how all of those losses have just piled up. And there is a certain strain of X-Men fan who believe that she's an unredeemable villain for some reason. And for the life of me, I just don't get it no in this in this house we we uh we stand emma (laughs) frost for sure yeah so so christy Mm -hmm. i want to know about your relationship with emma frost okay so my comics reading story is basically i married a man and then he he slowly revealed to me all of these these nerdy things that he did and brought me into them comics i already knew about sure and chris is such an infectious person and personality that I, I I always always cave. I've gotten into every single nerdy thing he's ever done, and <laughs> I, just on a matter of principle, I resist for as long as I can. And I'm so mm-hmm. you know I I should know better by now that if Chris likes it, it's probably a lot of fun. Now, t- just... to be fair, <laughs> I feel like I feel like I have to defend myself slightly. I'm usually not like do this, do this, do this. I no. say, I think you'd like this yes, thing. Yes, And I'm just very mm-hmm. stubborn and you're very persistent. And it's, <laughs> it's just very, you know, and it becomes like, here's this here's this book. I think you'd really like it. And it, so the first time I ever read X-Men, you handed me Astonishing mm-hmm. X-Men. And reading it, I was like, Emma just seemed, I liked the complexity to her. I liked mm-hmm. that she didn't always have to be nice. And she was still mm-hmm. likable even when she wasn't nice. Uh, yep. That she got to be a person on the page, and it was it was I liked the dimensions to her. I was I this is after I had seen what the awful portrayal of her by January Jones, and I'm like, oh, oh, this is very very different, and I like very this different. so much more. Mm-hmm. So she was she was my favorite reading Astonishing. I just she was enjoyable so, and she was a lot of things that I wish I could be, I guess. That makes so sense. So you absolutely do want to read Generation X because Emma Frost gets to be more Emma Frost, in my opinion, in Generation X than perhaps even in Astonishing, where I think she's in top form. Mm-hmm. The thing about the Generation X depiction of Emma Frost 
which um, we see a little bit in the Yost era with the the Hellions, the second group of Hellions, where we get to see her like with her students. But that fo- focuses so much more on the kids. We don't get to see a lot of the teacher drama, which mm-hmm. is like, it, man, teacher drama, right? Like, yeah, schools. <laughs> And uh, you know you got your you got your superintendent, your superintendent's breathing down your principal's neck. So your principal's got all the you know <laughs> admin staff, and then the admin staff are pushing all that stress out onto the teachers, and the teachers are just trying their best to like hold back the floodwater so they can get these kids together. And everybody kind speaks of, a like... third language of acronyms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. Um, and in Generation X, we get to see a lot of. Emma Frost in the teacher main, which we never got with the original class of the Hellions. Not like we didn't get enough of it, in mm-hmm. my opinion. And we get to see her in casual wear, uh, which is not something that I, I think that she really did during the Astonishing Run. Mm-hmm. Uh, she like comports herself as a like she just has like. She wears some like mom sweaters with like big white seventies jewelry <laughs> on it, and it's drawn by Chris Boccolo, and it's like Emma can turn down, and it can <laughs> yeah. be just as incredible as always at one hundred Emma, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one of the things that I really love to see. And there is so eventually you're going to have to get to the onslaught saga. Mm-hmm. And and I don't I don't know if you've experienced that particular crossover, but it, to this day the idea of it makes me wince. Okay. <laughs> However, during it is one of the greatest Emma Frost comics ever, where Emma Frost sees that there's this massive psychic event that is echoing out across the world. Spoiler alert: it's Savior being a supervillain, mm. and she's like, oh. If my children were to find out about this, they would run, not walk into the danger. They would do everything they can to fight alongside all of the heroes, and these are kids, and it's just not time for them to be putting their lives on the line to do something like that. So she does the makes the hard choice, and she does the unethical thing, and she mind-controls them all into staying put. Mm-hmm. And it nearly breaks her, and it nearly breaks them. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. Oh, the heart. Oh, the like because by that time you're you've been with these characters for a long time, and oh my goodness! Please, please, please go read Generation X. Get your Emma fix. I will. I will it's definitely. So it's, like, <laughs> it's like some some like some parts of it aren't that great, but so much of it is so good. Mm. All right. Well, are we ready to go on to accolades? Yeah. Let's accolades. Chris, do you want to start with your best line? Yes. So my best line is some of the real arch dialogue that comes from fake Storm, who is is a phalanx. She says at one point, Sean, come sunrise, you won't have a care in the world. And it's just so like very much like the like a vampire who's like uh, like I'm inviting you in for dinner like it's it's like that same sort of deal, and it was like such high camp that I absolutely positively loved it because <laughs> they're all they all kind of talk like that, but that one like that stuck out to me is like <laughs> you don't have a care in the world. Everett sink staring down the cops. Mm-hmm. Is your intention to shoot me just because I yelled too loud? That's. That's my 
That's my line. That's my line. I would say something like that. He said that. I wish I could have though that much steel in my spine. It's 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 a it's even like it's like an opening moment. It's like a defining moment. It sets up the character. It is great. Christy, would you like to regale us with your best line? My best line is par for the course for me is something that made me laugh, which in uh, this is Jubilee. And she's on she's on a little angry tangent here where she's sitting off with Emma Frost and she's not a fan. And she's like, yeah, sure thing, Miss Emma Frost used to be the mucky muck white queen of the Hellfire Club for the X-Men whooped your butt every time out. And then Sentinels fried your brains and you ended up waking up inside Dorko Drake's Iceman body. And now we're stuck with you and Sabretooth out here in yuck, St. Louis. <laughs> She just just <laughs> going on. <laughs> I'm like it's the perfect little like teenager rant and it's it I love it. <laughs> it also if you hadn't read the previous comic is a little bit helpful. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It gets you up to speed. It gets you up to speed. It was pretty clever. All right, Chrissy, would you like to start with greatest hero? So, my greatest hero has to go to Clarice has to go to Blink for sacrificing for what we know at this point sacrificing herself for everybody else she knows even if we get away now another mutant might not later and that's not going to be okay yep that was mine too daily double daily double again um ever who do you have the heroic sacrifice is the is the choice mm-hmm. clarice sacrificing herself does the greatest good at the greatest cost to herself mm-hmm. and there's like, you know, I want to say the guy named Everett. <laughs> I do. I understand. But uh, but the re- but the reality of it is that the, the greatest hero here was the person who was willing to put everything on the line and lost it to save those people around her who needed it. They, you just can't top it. Mm-hmm. Well, then I think we have a triple, which I think this is the what first are time. Are going to call it a triple play? A tr- uh, triple play is fine. I we like call that. it turkey. Oh, like no. we can't call it turkey. Can't call it turkey. <laughs> Triple Stress. play. All right. Coolest moment mm-hmm. is our next one. Mm-hmm. My coolest moment mm-hmm. uh, was so Sabretooth has has disappeared to our knowledge, not coming back, but he bursts in to save everybody. And Skin just has the line, "Paige, is this one of the X Men you said was going to be saving us?" <laughs> I loved that. I mean, I loved the the heroism of Sabretooth coming back and just kind of that surprise of, oh, I didn't really, didn't really expect or anticipate this. And he comes in with such fanfare. It's great. Just taking a huge swipe out of Harvest. Mm -hmm. Everett, what what is your coolest moment? So, and this is me. Mm -hmm. It's Sink and Jubilee on the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm. Oh, they are. Yeah, and we didn't talk about that in our discussion. So we, so we didn't, we didn't talk about this. But they, Jubilee has a moment where the whole world's crashing down on her, and she vents. She vents about her powers. She vents about her life. She, she just lets it all go, mm-hmm. right? And Everett is is there, and he is like, "Well, I guess those powers kind of do suck, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right?" And so. To me, it's the this is the human beat mm-hmm. uh, in the story. And there, there are there are a few of them, but this is this is the big one, where you have 
two teenagers. They are dealing with an alien invasion that has body snatched up the support network of the entirety of, of one of these people. And the other one has basically lost all normalcy from their life to go on their very first grand adventure. So you have Jubilee as the weathered veteran who has been on many a Larry Hama rodeo by this point. Yes. Mm-hmm. And is just down in the dumps. And then you have the new guy and they share a genuine human moment on the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. Or is that a bridge in St. Louis? Is that no, it was, I think it was the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's like, that's why I read X-Men comics, mm-hmm. right? Is for the downbeat, here's your moment of emotional truth, where two people are connecting not because they have the same X gene, but because they're both thrust into the same dire situation and the things that it reveals about the people that they are in those moments. And I thought that that, to me, is by far the coolest moment in this crossover. Well, I really wish you would have gone last. (laughs) I'm I'm taking this back to complete, well, not complete silliness, but my coolest moment is where M takes charge, where Monet takes charge of the situation, blows to bits the, well, I kind of almost like fries Gregor, and then just kind of tells everybody the way it's going to be. Because I felt like it was such a, it was such a, an out of nowhere moment of this complete, like stoic figure mm-hmm. suddenly bursting into action and deciding how things are going to go. But it was just also very visually striking and cool. Yeah. And I am, I am still like a bit of a 12 year old. And I was just like, oh my gosh, she blew that guy up. <laughs> So now for our very, very, very silliest award, we have the Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy, named after Crusher Creel the Absorbing Man, who is possibly the silliest villain. You read the Black Bolt, though. When uh, we came up with this uh, award, Black Bolt hadn't started yet. (laughs) All right. But he's, he's, yeah, no shade. I absolutely love Crusher Creel, and he is fantastic in Black Bolt. But the, the I, first thing we read was Secret Wars, and he is such a such a goo goob. He is he's so so he has spent so long as a goon, and he and Titania mm-hmm. have in the last I don't know it's been three years or so um, since the one where it was Titania and the Hood and a couple of the other villains in a power grab i think that that was really where it started for me mm-hmm. and then through in that arc through like the current black bolt stuff with them they i to use a wrestling term they got over they got over in such a big way i mean captain america spoke at the absorbing man's funeral right like yeah you can't top it crusher creel's so good he is, he is <laughs> let's very get good to this, let's Let's get to this award. <laughs> um, so my Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy goes to the fact that the Phalanx decided they were going to make a teen boy and just have him hang out in a bubble with everybody and he was going to be their camera. So they made a teen a teen boy camera. And I thought that that was maybe not, that wouldn't have been my first plan. <laughs> So Gregor or Gregor Gregor's, is Gregor's existence and the fact that he's like, well, shucks, guys. Oh, we have, just... we have another Daily Double. Oh, is he yours too? <laughs> now, I, I chose specifically the panel where we just get the full front of his face. And he looks like almost 
Clark Kenty, uh, like a blonde Clark Kent here. And uh, they're there, boys and girls. Let's not argue among ourselves. I bet you yes. if we all pitch in and work together, we'll be home for dinner. Right. And Monet's like, this is why I knew he was a robot. Because he's like a, a parody of a human being. So I definitely think that for me, as far as like silly villainy goes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's Professor X and giving Sabretooth those like, <laughs> mittens with gloves on them. He's like, here, have some have some kitten min- mittens. They have metal claws on them it's like yes just make saber tooth worse please it's like yeah no that's you you gotta know what you're doing when you do something like that i think it was the long playing the long game happened to work out this time yeah it's yeah it's but it wasn't even the first time that saber tooth had broken out of his prison you think they would have learned Maybe the claws were bigger the first time, and they, like, filed them down a little bit. Yeah, no, no. Oh, no. oh man. Well, that's going to be our show. Everett, thank you so much for joining us. You were an absolutely fantastic guest, and we were privileged to have you on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely my pleasure. I love talking about the X-Men. I love talking about comics. And anytime you guys want to have me around, you know where to find me. Well, thank you again so much. Everett, before we say where we can be found, where can people find you on the internet and or your works? Yes, yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Zurenaissance, Z-H-U-R-E-N-A-I-S-S-A-N-C-E. And you can find my work uh, over at the Young Ones cast. You can find it on Xavier Files. I did a, a series of articles there, and I had an article over at Fanbros as well. So I didn't I'm kinda... know you wrote for Fanbros. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I did an analysis of Cyclops assuming the mantle of civil rights leadership for the X-Men and how the mantle of civil rights leadership of the x-men is inherently villainizing i will absolutely have to check that out i've read i've read your stuff on young ones and xavier files i just didn't i i'd I miss that fan bros article everybody check that stuff out i've read everett's essays they are absolutely great poignant on point fantastic if they're anything like how he speaks then <laughs> yeah i i i try gosh i try but i Thank you guys so much for having me once again. Uh, this has been a blast. Yes. I don't know if I can say it enough, but we, we really enjoyed having you on. Christy, where can we be found on the internet? You can find us at Chris's Pod on Twitter or on Facebook. You can email us at chrisesoninfiniteearths at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes or whatever you listen to us on. We will shout you out on the show for those fabulous five-star reviews yes and our next episode i kind of want to say say it right now uh we're going to be interviewing marvel writer leah williams who we uh actually talked a little bit about in this episode i'm so envious (laughs) Uh, i'm so envious of you guys right now it's gonna yeah it's gonna be a blast uh we're gonna oh my goodness we're gonna talk to her about her work on crossovers because she's written a little bit for some previous crossovers and then we're gonna because we're We've been talking X-Men recently. We're going to try to pick her brain on that since she's going to be writing the upcoming X-Men Black Emma Emma Frost as well as What If Magic. Um, So stick with us for that. After that, we'll we'll wrap up Phalanx Covenant, but we felt that was worth a break. Yes. (laughs)
I I would say so. <laughs> I, would, I agree. I would take a break for that. You know, yeah. Just saying. Absolutely. All right. And until next time. Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours.